Hey guys, welcome to Home Church Scotland. I'm Pastor Dave and welcome to our weekly podcast. Guys, if you're encouraged by what you hear today, why not check out our social medias? Just search for Home Church Scotland. Or why not subscribe to our YouTube channel where all of our services are live and in full for you to enjoy at your listening pleasure. Let's pray, God. I just ask you, I invite you to speak through me this morning. Again, I know I've got nothing to say, but you do. God, if you don't show up today, there's no point in me standing here. There's no point in us being here. So I just ask that you would. You're My goodness, you've already shown up. You're already here. Just your words, God, I pray, are the ones that get heard this morning and not mine. Amen. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a human in this earth other than Jesus who hasn't sinned. Not one soul. And unfortunately, the Bible tells us that our sins have consequences. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Our sins have got consequences. Our sins have literally separated us from God. So that even when we talk to him, if we're living sinful lives, we're not breaking through. That's what the Bible says. And that's a, by the way, it's a significant consequence to be removed from God. Huge. It means at the end of our life, if we're separated from God, we're not graduating to glory. So to encounter God fully, we must deal with our sin. We have to deal with it. Matthew 3 verse 1 says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come. And then in Matthew 4 verse 17, Jesus says, it says, At this time Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Christians today were called to repent, In fact, all of creation is called to repent. The Christians are the ones that have done it. But it's not, repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a constant through your life, dealing with stuff and as we're talking about last night, putting God first. But I want to talk about what repentance is because actually we can get it really easily wrong in church. And I've heard it taught wrong so many times. Repentance is two Greek words put together, meta and noia, meta change, noia mind. Repentance means a change of mind. To change your mind on what you thought, on what you thought was acceptable, to change your mind on what you thought was reasonable behavior, was reasonable language, was reasonable attitudes. And the Hebrew word, which some of you will have heard, is to turn around repentance. And in, in, in Hebrew kind of is like you're walking in one direction and you turn around and you go a totally different direction. So we're changing our minds and we're changing our direction. What repentance is not is an emotion, which is how it's so often taught. Repentance is not an emotion. It's a decision. It's a head thing. Most of the problems that we experience as Christians 
is because we've never truly repented. Acts 2 verse 37 talks about a time where the disciples were preaching at crowds of people, preaching the gospel, preaching the truth. And it says that when the people heard this, what was being said, they were cut to the heart. There's a heart thing, right? That's an emotion. It can start with an emotion, but it doesn't stay there. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off. So they were cut to the heart, which is remorse. But Peter says, you don't stop there. They're already remorseful. They're already cut to the heart. And they say, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter says, don't stop there. That, the remorse is great, but you now need to repent and you need to be baptized. That's what we're told. Repentance should follow remorse. Far too many Christians stop at the remorse bit and think they've repented. But if you do that, you leave yourself in a life where you're just beating yourself up every day. Feeling like a filthy, rotten, dirty sinner. Jesus died to free us from that. So we don't stay in remorse. We come to repentance. Remorse won't save you. We have to actually change something. We have to actually do different. We have to actually repent and receive forgiveness of our sins because no amount of works, no amount of anything else is ever going to save anybody. Only repentance. It's through faith and grace alone that we're saved. I want to tell you today that nothing that you have ever done is bad enough for Jesus not to forgive it. Nothing is so bad that if you would just return to Jesus today or give your life to Jesus today and confess your sins and receive his forgiveness, every single one of you is going to receive it. Every single one of you, no matter what. I want to tell you about the life of King David, right? King David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. I'd love that on my gravestone, man. Anybody else? I know I shouldn't really be thinking of my gravestone yet, but probably half my life's gone. You know what I mean? I'm not going to stay there, right? I think about it, if there's one, I think that's the greatest commendation in the Bible. Do you know? A man after God's own heart. What will I tell you about King David? A man with a lot of skills. A man with a lot of talent. A man absolutely with God's anointing and God's blessing on him, 100%. But one day when King David was supposed to be out at war, leading his people, he wasn't, he had everyone else go to war. And he sat on his, the roof of his palace, sunbathing. It's quite nice. And he looked out and he saw a very, very pretty woman who was also sunbathing without any clothes on. Apparently she was a very pretty woman. Now she probably shouldn't have been sunbathing without any, but let's leave that to the side. But King David looked at that and thought, how you doing? It's like, yeah, man. Like, yes. 
Now that's bad enough, the Bible tells us that once you've lusted after someone, you might as well have just committed adultery, right? But, but he doesn't stop there. He decides to invite the lady to dinner. And he strikes up a relationship with the lady. And he takes, him, takes her to his bedroom and he gets her pregnant. That's pretty poor, isn't it? But he doesn't stop there. He goes, what, what, what can I do to fix this? Repentance isn't in mind. Confess isn't in mind. What can I do to fix this? See, when we get ourselves caught in sin, it just builds and done it. Build, 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 build. So one sin leads to more, leads to more, leads to more. What can I do to fix this? So he decides what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring this guy, her husband, back from the war and he'll come home. He's not seen his wife in like months. First thing he's going to do is jump into bed with his wife and he'll think the baby's his and nobody's going to know what I've done. Sounds like a good idea. So he brings the guy home from war, but actually the guy's too much integrity. There's no way he's going to sleep with his wife when all the other men are fighting a war away from theirs. Yeah, that's not the guy that was after God's heart. It was David. Just to point that out at this juncture, right? I'll, I'll, I'll explain why. So that doesn't work. He just refuses. I'm not, I'm not doing it. It's not fair on everyone else. I'm supposed to be at war where David was supposed to be. So what David decides to do is send him back into the front line and he tells the guy he's leading at a particular point in battle, I want you all to withdraw from that guy and leave him stranded so that he's killed. So David has lust in his heart, which leads to adultery, which leads to scheming, which leads to murder. Does that sound like a guy after God's own heart to anybody? Psalm 51. David writes this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David wasn't a man after God's own heart because he was a good guy. He was at times, by the way. But he wasn't a man after God's own heart because he was a good guy. He wasn't a man after God's own heart because he was, he was the best example of the Bible of what a godly individual is. He's not. He was a man after God's own heart because he understood repentance. He understood it. He understood and grasped probably more than anyone else in Scripture. He understood confession. He understood that confessing your sins leads to them being forgiven. And so he confessed his sin to God and his sin and shame and mistakes were literally wiped clean, literally washed away. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. And he says this in Psalm 32, this was written around the time just after he made this mistake. He said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When he didn't confess his sin, he, the, the pressure, the depression and everything just built up and built up and built up and built up. He couldn't handle it. He was overwhelmed with his sin. He was groaning all day long in pain and torment about the things that he'd done. A lot of us stay there, don't we? We all know what that feels like. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was snapped in the heat of summer. But then he says this, but then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's why he's a man after God's own heart. He understood that no matter what he had done, if he simply confessed his sins to God, took the weight and the shame and the burden and the guilt and all of that stuff, and gave it to God, God was good enough and gracious enough to remove it. What did David have to do? He had to confess. So as well as repentance, changing our mind on how we live our lives, we're also called to confess our sins to God. And as we do that, God forgives us. And I'm going to give us an opportunity to do that at the end of the message. We told us in the Bible, I think it's Proverbs, Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. We can find mercy in God today if we confess our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the main blockage in us encountering Jesus The main blockage in us knowing Jesus in the way we're supposed to is our sin. So we need to deal with that. We've got a chance to do that today. Another thing that puts a blockage between us and Jesus is holding grudges against people. Unforgiveness. So number one, we want to deal with sin this morning. And number two, we want to deal with grudges. Luke 17 says this. Then he said to his disciples, it's impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they come. Jesus is saying really, really clearly, in this life you are going to be offended. So let's not be surprised when we are. That's what we're told. But also says this, it would be better for them, the people that have offended you, to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. And then he gives this warning. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. A little bit of a tangent. If your brother and sister sins against you, don't go tell everyone else they've done it behind their back. Go to the person and say, listen, can we have a chat? I was a little bit upset about what went on there. Give them a, give them a, give a chance to fix it. Don't go telling everybody else. That's not what we're called to do. If they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back saying to you, I repent, you must forgive them. That's not easy, is it? This was the the apostles' apostles reaction. God, increase our faith. (laughs) Lord, increase our faith, because that's not easy. Takes an awful lot of faith to forgive takes an awful lot of faith to forgive continuously. Jesus was teaching that you will get hurt sometimes. People will hurt you. I might, some, I don't mean it, right? But I might, I don't know. Churches seem to have a brilliant knack of it. 
If anyone's ever been hurt by any church, I apologise on behalf of the church. That's not how it's supposed to be. People will let us down. People will literally betray you. Jesus knew that and he taught on it. So I want you to think, I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning and I want you to think about this. You can write these down if you want and ponder on them later on. Who betrayed you in life? Who lied about you or lied to you? I've been lied to and I've been lied about more since becoming a pastor than I've ever been in my entire life. It's kind of bizarre. Just how, just how it goes. It's part of the course. Who lied about you? Who mistreated you? Or took advantage of you? It's really hard to forgive. Especially if you've been betrayed by someone that you love. Could they be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or your best friend or your siblings? Your partner, your sp- your spouse, could have been an authority figure, someone that was in authority, someone that you trusted and they've, they've abused your trust. Could have been someone who did something to you and then manipulated you to thinking it was your fault and you carried that for years and then later on realized that actually wasn't your fault and then you're, you're angry at what was done but you're also angry about the manipulation. Could be your friends. Could have been your enemies. Biggest thing I've ever had to forgive is what happened to my son. That's harder than anyone ever doing anything against me, someone doing something against someone that you love. And I need to keep forgiving that. He's going through a lot right now and hence why you couldn't play the drums. Did it yesterday and today. I just want to say, son, you're more important than the drums, man. I love you. Way more important than the drums. That's hard, man, to see your son hurting because of what somebody's doing to him. It's horrific. But Jesus calls us to forgive. Sometimes you need to forgive people more than once. There's a list of a number of examples of things that you might realize today you have to forgive. There could be more. Sometimes... Oh, sometimes, all the time. Forgiveness is hard, man. But we're called to do it. So if we're called to forgive, then how do we do it? Matthew 5, verse 30, 43 and 44 says, You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. How do you know you've forgiven someone? When you can truthfully before God pray for that person. That's when you know you've forgiven someone. When you can pray for that person. And this is a scary thing, right? It says we have to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If we are not prepared to forgive people to the point of praying for them, we've got no right to call ourselves Christians. We've got no right to call ourselves children of God if we're not prepared to forgive and pray for people. Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, get rid of all bitterness, not some of it, not the stuff that's justified not the stuff that was unintended whatever get rid of all bitterness get rid of all rage get rid of all anger all brawling all slander 
along with every form of malice, everything in us that is unforgiven and not right, we have to get rid of all of it. It says we have to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. None of us have any right not to forgive someone because we all stand forgiven of an awful lot more than what has been done against us. But here's the scary bit, right? Matthew 6, 14 and 15 says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's scary. If we don't forgive other people, we've no right to ask God to forgive us. Quite often, we love the fact forgiveness comes to us, but we ain't so good with the giving it part. Forgiveness isn't just supposed to flow to you. It's supposed to flow through you. And if it's not, we're doing it wrong. We all get together sometimes, don't we? We say the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Do you want God to forgive you in the same manner that you've forgiven other people? Would that be good for you? Probably wouldn't. If God gave us in the same manner, and actually that's what happens, right? This is what the passage is saying here. God does forgive us in the same way as we forgive other people. Whatever we give is what we receive. It puts it into perspective. Who do you need to forgive today? Forgiveness is simply given to another person what God has given to you. Why does God ask us to forgive? Because it's really hard, by the way. It's not why does God ask us to do this difficult stuff? He asks you to forgive people because he loves you. It's not about the other person. He's not asking you to forgive someone for their benefit. He's asking you to forgive someone for your benefit. Forgiving other people heals you. I've known so many people that have held on to grudges for years and years and years for their entire lives. The person they're holding a grudge against has moved on with a life a hundred times, but they're still living in captivity because they've not been able to forgive. The other person probably forgets it even happened. The other person might not even know you exist anymore, but you're carrying about bitterness and rage and malice and slander and unforgiveness in your heart. And the only person that's hurting is you. So Jesus is saying, get rid of all of it, not for the other person, not to release the other person, but to release you because he loves you. Don't let years of abuse rob you from years of your future. Don't let it happen. How much forgiveness do people deserve? Better question, how much freedom do you want? How much freedom do you desire? That's the question. So we're going to deal with sin today. We're going to deal with grudges today. Number three, we're going to deal with guilt today. As well as forgiving other people, we have to forgive ourselves. Jesus died to forgive us. And yet some of us really struggle with forgiving ourselves. We're brilliant at telling other people 
that God can forgive you for anything. But probably telling non-Christians, doesn't matter what you've done, God will forgive you. But some of us really struggle to accept that for ourselves and receive it for ourselves. And if we're honest with you, and I've spoke to a lot of people recently like this man, and it hurts me. It's just like, we're going through the Christian motions, we're going through stuff, we're trying our best, but we're, we're like, we're struggling to forgive ourselves. Jesus died that you would be free. Be free from guilt. There's nothing you've done that God hasn't forgiven you for already. If you would just receive it. Maybe you feel like you've let people down like really, really badly. Maybe you feel like you've let God down really, really badly time and time and time and time again. You've kind of tried to repent so many times and you keep doing it again. So you're just so full of guilt because you think I just keep letting God down. Maybe you're ashamed of behaviours that you've carried throughout your life. Maybe the things that you did in the past before you became a Christian or maybe something you did in the past after you've been a Christian is just so heavy on you and you've just never ever been able to shake the guilt. You've never been able to leave the shame at the side. Maybe you can't forgive yourself because of your past. Jesus would say you're forgiven. Maybe... I don't know, maybe you can't forgive the last thing you said to someone. You didn't know it was the last time you were going to see them. And you said something. And you, you've been carrying guilt like that around your entire life. I don't know. Maybe that's for someone. Romans 5 verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. If you're a Christian, you've been justified. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian today, God's desire is for us to live in peace. That's why he sent Jesus. You don't have to be carrying guilt and shame around with you for the rest of your life. You can have peace today before you leave here if you deal with this stuff. So we're going to deal with sin. We're going to deal with grudges. We're going to deal with guilt. Maybe some of us need to deal a little bit with pride. Pride is something that can block us encountering God. And this is the guilt and the pride and everything I say from that was new. I never said any of this last year. There are so many Christians that are not living the lives that we're called to live because of pride. We don't want the embarrassment of speaking the name of Jesus because we're too proud to be laughed at. We're too proud to be looked down on. We don't want to be ridiculed or maybe like me the mistake I made for so many years I was so crazy prideful I cared more about success in the world's eyes than I cared about success in God's eyes maybe that's you maybe you want an important position in the church more than you want to serve Jesus that can happen to a lot of people Luke 18 14 says he also told this parable to some who trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, prideful people who were religious people. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So one a religious leader and one a sinner. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed like this, God, thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. 
But a tax collector standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pride, for some of us, might be a barrier between us and fully encountering Jesus. Tradition can be a barrier between us and God. Man-made tradition. Jesus says a few times to Pharisees and religious leaders in the Bible, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? They've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. Putting our man-made traditions is more important than Jesus. How we do church like smells and bells and liturgies and stuff that we do is actually more important than Jesus. And that, by the way, I don't really understand all that stuff. That's not what they get a Catholic church. All churches get this wrong. In my opinion, sorry if it offends people, but the, even the brethren church where this church has come from cared more about people wearing hats and rules than actually loving people that come in. They wouldn't let people in their doors because they weren't wearing a hat. That blows my mind that anyone ever thought that was okay. I'm okay if people want to wear a hat in church, by the way. I feel that's fine. But to, to not allow someone in your building because they don't understand what you... That's insane. Where did anyone ever get that from? I just don't understand it. Their tradition of how they did communion was more important than the people coming through the door. More important than the call of God in their lives. Whether you're a Catholic church or a Protestant church or a Brethren church, or the and by the way, we, people think the charismatic churches is modern and different. They've got a whole load of traditions that aren't the biblical either. Once you've been a church any more than five years, you've got traditions and things that you do that, if you're not careful, become more important than God. And then if you actually get challenged, why do you do that? You probably can't give an answer. But we've just always done it. But some of our traditions hurt people. Some of our traditions put people off. Some of our legalism hurts people. So maybe, maybe there's like a, maybe you're struggling with something because of the traditions in which you were brought up with. And that's a barrier between you and God. I want to encourage you to deal with that today. All I care about in this church is are we doing this? I couldn't care less about anything else. I don't care about traditions. I just was talking to you about this in the car the other day. Like I just, I just base it on this. If I don't see it in this, I'm not going to do it. I'm not saying that there's things that people do that aren't in this. That I'm not saying they're all bad. They might actually be good. But if I can't see an example of it in here, I'm not doing it. I'm just not doing it. If I can find an example of it in here, I want to strive for it. We miss a lot of this stuff out as well. It's just as bad. We think people that take it too far, we, we, we can judge them and think, those of us that leave stuff out because we're scared of it or every bit is wrong. I just want to get it right. I just want to live it. What, can you imagine? What if we were a church that just got this book right? Can you imagine? Don't let tradition be a blockage between you and encountering Jesus. Right, so where are we at? I know I just want to, I just want to recap, honey. Thank you for, for helping me there. So, she's got the notes, right? At least she's, right, we're going to deal with sin. We're going to deal with grudges. We're going to deal with guilt. We're going to deal with pride. We're going to deal with tradition. We're going to deal with hurt. And this is slightly different than grudges. 
Some of it's kind of the same, but actually you can be hurt at stuff and you don't know who you're hurt about. You know what I mean? There's a difference there. Grudges is something you, you hold against a person. Some of us can just be hurt. Maybe, I mean, no Pastor Jeff, we're going to talk about this this afternoon, being adopted. Maybe people have been rejected by someone and they don't know who they were rejected by. So if no one to point their anger at, they're just, they're just hurting. Maybe you know you were the result of an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe when you were born, your parents were annoyed at the gender you were and wanted you to be the other one. Maybe nobody was happy when you were born. Maybe nobody celebrated. Maybe you've been told your whole life you were a burden you really wanted. You're a nuisance. Maybe you grew up. And I'm really sorry if this is you in a house where you just weren't wanted and you weren't looked after. Nobody loved you. Nobody spent time with you. Your babysitter was a TV. Maybe your parents preferred your siblings over you. Maybe that's how you feel. That's not always true, by the way. My kids say that sometimes and it's not true. But maybe your parents like genuinely really did. And, and I've heard parents tell their kids this and I don't understand it. They prefer one sibling over the other. I've heard it. Maybe you've carried talk your whole life because your, your parents weren't as good to you as what you saw other parents be to their kids and maybe that's just like you've just carried really inbuilt heart. Why could my dad not be like that? How come my mum was not like that? How, how come, why did I not get this? Why did I not get what my friends have got? Maybe you've struggled through life and nobody's ever helped you. Or maybe you're just hurt. It's not even angry, but just like you've never really succeeded at anything you, you think. You've never achieved what you set out to achieve. You've believed that you're worth less than everybody else because you've got low self-esteem. Maybe there's hurt in your life and we want to deal with it today. Complacency. Proverbs 132, for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Revelation 3, verse 15 and 16, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. We'd rather you were either cold nor hot, but because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Complacency is rife in the church. Complacency is rife in the life of a Christian. Kind of believe, kind of go, kind of all right, kind of into it, but like, yeah, you know, take it or leave it. Complacency is a barrier between us and God. We can get ourselves so comfortable with church life that we forget what church is actually all about. Go to church, I serve on a team. My kids are at church with us on a Sunday. What more could there be? Maybe you were born into the church and you've heard this stuff your whole life and you kind of believe it, but you never let it sink in. Because you're just so used to it, you're complacent about it. The love of Jesus has never truly sank into your life. Knowledge can be a barrier between us and Jesus. There's a whole lot of people so puffed up with knowledge that we forget about putting Jesus first like I spoke about last night. Maybe other people have been a barrier between you and Jesus. 
by other people and probably talking hypocrites here. Perhaps you've been turned off Christianity because of the example of someone else. Someone you know, someone from a church, one of these numpty people that you see, they're normally American, sorry guys, on the TV, <laughs> talking nonsense. And you just think, if that's, if that's what being a Christian is, I don't want to be like that. Do you know what surprises me? I've heard an awful lot of times, I don't want to be a Christian. If being a Christian means I want to be like that. And they point it like the worst example of a Christian you could point at. We don't do that in any other sphere of life. We don't go, I'm, I don't like, I think football's rubbish because that guy I seen playing for, Stran Ra, shut up, was rubbish, right? We'll see you tomorrow, Ricky, we'll see you tomorrow, mate. Like, but we base, like we base how beautiful football is on like Messi and Ronaldo, not on Greenock Morton. Do you know what I'm saying? But with Christianity, we base how beautiful Christianity is on the lowest common denominator. That's, that's just daft. And you wouldn't do it in any other sphere of life, so why do we do it in Christian life? Sometimes people are going to be a bad example. That's why we follow the example of Jesus and not anyone else. Hypocrites might be a barrier between you and Jesus might have been in the past. And lastly, fear might be a barrier between you and Jesus. Fear of the unknown. Or actually, you're just so scared. If you truly submit your life to Jesus, things that you've covered up in darkness for years are going to be exposed for Jesus to deal with them and you don't want them to be exposed. You don't want people to know what's happened. You don't want to remember in yourself what happened. So there's a fear. There's a fear of that. Can I get the band back up? So let me run through those things again. Now we're going to have a chance to let God do a work in our lives. Barriers to encountering God that I want us to deal with this morning. Sin in our lives. Grudges, guilt, pride, tradition, hurt, complacency, knowledge, hypocrites, and fear. Thanks for listening to the Home Church Scotland podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, feel free to get in touch with me. My email is dave at homechurch.scot.